Hello and welcome to A Day in the Life podcast. I'm your host, Kim Eason. Today's guest is Kitty Lowry, a manager on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. She has worked in the sector for 30 years and today manages a supported independent living program, or SIL program. For those who don't know what SIL is, it's a type of help or supervision with daily tasks to help you to live as independently as possible whilst building your skills. It is paid supports that happen in your home when you live with other people. SIL includes things like personal care, cooking meals and other independent living skills. There are more accommodation and home supports available through the NDIS. Today, however, we'll be focusing on SIL and Kitty's experience in working in the sector. So hi Kitty, welcome to A Day in the Life podcast. How are you? I'm well, how are you? (laughs) I'm good, thank you. I'm good. So Kitty, this podcast is trying to capture the stories of people who live with disability and those who support them. So uh-huh. can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do? Uh, hi. Uh, so a little bit about myself. I uh, live in Foster, New South Wales, and I work in Taree in a supported living, and I'm a support manager there. And I guess I have a beautiful life of uh, living by the beach and doing a job which I absolutely love and that's supporting um, people with disabilities to be empowered to live the life that they want to lead. That's great. So I'm feeling pretty blessed in life, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, fabulous. So how did you come to be in the sector? Well, uh, I have been working in the sector for 30 years. Uh, It feels hard and I have to pinch myself to, to... be reminded of that so when I was 19 I thought I wanted to become a psychologist uh, always working with people and uh, I guess understanding the human brain and how everyone's different and helping people to again be be the best that they can be so I went on a gap year to UK and worked in a a beautiful old castle which was um, probably in the 15th century and there was um, it was converted to support people with multiple cirrhosis so it was a six-month um, volunteer gig mm-hmm. and I realized there that I actually didn't want to be a psychologist I liked actually being the implementer on the ground and finding the rewards of actually working side by side with people in their everyday life mm-hmm. uh, so I had that taste of an experience as a 19 year old and I came back to Australia and I thought, that's it, I wanna work in, in the disability sector. Now at the stage, there was no uh, specific degree in that. So I did uh, the disability certificate at TAFE. Then I went on and did the social welfare um, uh, course. And then I went on and became a social welfare officer at university. So I kind of, uh, stuck them all together to become a specialist in disability. And in that time, I, I worked, um, you know, doing a lot of home care work and uh, jobs that were flexible working in the sector to um, complement what I was studying. So that's, I guess, in a nutshell, the history. And then from there on, I, I worked um, as disability support workers, uh, doing management casework. And I guess today I'm still in the, in the sector doing what I love. Yeah. So you work in supported independent living programs. What's yeah. it like? What's it like working in a SIL program? 
Oh, fantastic. Uh, what I love about working in a SIL program is that it's overseeing someone's holistic care needs. It's not just a pocket, like just the day service or just allied health. It's actually looking at someone's whole story and pulling it all together and working uh, with the customer to what they want and then him picking specific staff that would complement that. And just seeing uh, people happy and successful and well supported is, is such a reward and that's what, what I do. Yeah, great. Thank so are there, are there any challenges in being a sole provider? Um, definitely. Um, the challenges are, are multiple and I think there's no two days that are the same. Ever. And I think that's that's the joy in um, being human and uh, always being malleable to be responsive to what people's needs are. So the challenges would be, um, oh gosh, the first challenge would probably be to really um, empower people to have their own voice and to sit down and have the time to go through with them what they truly want and being okay to fall over and keep trying again. Mm. Uh, as everyone would probably say too, funding is always a challenge. So trying to work within the resources that you've got. But I think um, you have to have a team of uh, people who are advocates to challenge those challenges and uh, to find solutions. Uh, my uh, my favourite quote is, if you can't find a way, make a way. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I like to do that with people. Mm. My boss has a similar quote that says, if you can't change something, change the way you look at it. Exactly. So that's her exactly. favourite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So great. the challenges, yeah, resources and really identifying what people want and being okay to fall over mm -hmm. in a nutshell. Yeah. 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 So how does the NDIS help your customers? Oh, look, um, I have been... Um, a part of the NDIS since uh, July 2013 with its first rollout and also um, in Canberra lobbying as well with the um, Every Australian Counts uh, and doing the morning teas. And so, um, first of all, I guess I want to talk about the history is that I've been an advocate for self-individualised funding my whole life. I think um, being put into a generic service and making a square peg fit in a round hole is not... Um, great anyway, it's not good for anybody. So being using your funds flexibly is um, the way to deliver services. And um, how it's helped is NDIS has enabled that self-individualised funding so people can truly choose what they need and it can work for their best interest. And um, I love NDIS. I think it's um, been... Uh, such a contribution to the uh, Australian community and there's no other way we could do it that wouldn't be as successful and uh, I know there's the challenges there's always going to be teething issues mm -hmm. um, but I think it, again it's finding solutions and working collaboratively with a, a government that is open and receptive to, to hearing the feedback um, and yes, again, it will fall over. Bits will fall over. Um, I know transport has been a, a, a particularly uh, difficult um, uh, area of NDIS. And also the uh, plan reviews and the waiting process. There's always going to be hiccups. We just have to keep, keep um, being advocates and supporting and um, 
and holding the banner that this needs to change and being able to go to those uh, workshops as well when NDIs first rolled out, they were genuinely listening to feedback and trying to shape that. Um, yeah. So yeah, NDIs has been fantastic overall. I think um, yeah. good on Australia and I'm so proud to live in this country that empowers people with disabilities like that. <laughs> yeah, I've certainly heard some success stories as well and it seems to be that it's more as you said, malleable and flexible to a person's needs rather than being kind of lumped together in um, block funding, I guess. Ah, yeah. 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 Well, you never want to go back to that um, archaic kind of view in a yeah. way now if, if, without growing that. Um, mm. Psychologically, intellectually, and as a country, we just, uh, yeah, we, we can't go back. Yeah. 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 That impact. Yeah. So how do you help your team to understand the NDIS and also to put in practice those person-centred approaches? Okay. So how do I help my team with um, being aware of NDIS? So uh, I like to have a relatively small team so I can mentor and support the team through that learning. I will provide information through emails, staff meetings, um, just like I said, mentoring that every day. What are people's goals? How are we documenting it? Um, how do we break those steps down to, to really um, address those needs? So that's how we're um, getting the information out to staff. Um, what was the second part of the question again? Uh, how do you help them to apply the person-centred approach? The person-centred approach. So again, it's going, um, I think the best thing you can do is have a relationship uh, with the, the customer that you're supporting. Uh, you can look at their plan and look at their goals and address them, but to genuinely have a relationship and know the person mm -hmm. is where you're going to um, really kick some goals. You know, yeah. um, somebody coming in and going, right, your goal is riding a bike. You know, if you don't have that relationship with someone and know their fears and their um, where they like to ride a bike and what time of the day they like to ride the bike, it's going to be less less successful. So yeah. I think um, I really pride myself on, on having continuity of care, um, having educated staff and staff to use their initiative. So um, they don't have to be micromanaged. They can um, make um, a little bit of a challenging decision with the individual and report back, hey, this was a great success. You know, not only did they bike ride to the shop and back, they wanted to go around um, the park as well. Mm -hmm. And um, me to go, that's great. Uh, let's document that and uh, have that. Or they felt afraid to ride the bike. It was rainy that day. Mm -hmm. uh, just really, um, really using those person-centred practices, I think, comes through uh a team of people who are specialists and uh, know the individual. Yeah, that's yeah. certainly um, something that I've spoken about on a couple of my previous podcasts around actually getting to know the person. And um, mm. my episode I've just done um, just recently is around that difference in approach of doing with versus doing for as well and, yeah. and knowing where to draw that line or where to encompass both of yeah. those things. Yeah. Exactly. So, like you said, um, basically active support, side by side, not four, um, mm. and all of the strategies involved with with that. And just, it's so terrific to match people with people, not um, not trying to make. For example, you wouldn't put me with a customer to play video games. I, I, it wouldn't. 
I'd do it, but I wouldn't do it well. Yeah. So you need to match those those people who share passions, and it just you go from strength to strength. It, it's um, it's organic and it's um, natural, and it's uh, a wonderful human connection that you can build. And I guess my role as a support manager is to see how do I match those people well mm. to be successful. And, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. really important. It is, yeah. So what does a day in your customers' lives look like? I know obviously they're very different, but just a sample yeah. of what it might look like um, if they were to, if someone was to choose to work, oh, sorry, to live um, yeah. in a SIL-funded house. So again, um, their house is their home and it needs to be, I guess, drummed in. You're not having a support worker coming in saying, I'm here and I'm going to support you today and that's it, you know. It's being very respectful. It's about knocking on their door saying, hey, what would you like? And uh, so it's supporting them with their everyday routines to do the things that they want and being a master of their own life and empowered in their own life and just having that little bit of help to be that self-actualised person um, and to have a mastery, like I said, over their own life. So whether it's getting up in the morning and needing that little bit of a, a leg lift to be able to get yourself out of bed to putting um, hand over hand help with uh, toothpaste on your brush rather than someone doing it for you. Uh, mm. And those everyday routines. And I think also what's important in a cell is to get the, the people who live with each other right. Because mm. nobody wants to live with someone because your funding says you can stay there and there's no other options. I think it's really important to have people that you get along with. Uh, you and I can choose who we live with mm -hmm. and it's very important for people with a disability to choose who they live with too. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard for anybody to live with anybody else. Mm -hmm. But getting that match right, I think it's up to us to make sure we get it right and listen to people. And if it's not working, find out why and either address it or um, be flexible and, and who's living with who. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's helping people with their everyday routines, having quality staff who understand active support and um, people having mastery over their own life and getting the mix right in their homes. Yeah, yeah. that's really mm. important. That's great. I think so. so if you could wave a magic wand when it comes to supporting people with disability, what would yeah. you wish for? Uh, look, uh, I would definitely wish for um, NDIS to continue mm -hmm. and I would wish for that, how would I say it? I guess with resources, you have to have a limit because, you know, everyone has a, a limit, but really being able to have the time to have managers and the staff reflect and take the time to for people to have self-mastery. So if we are resource poor, that there is a good system in uh, reflecting on funding to make sure that those can those needs can be addressed. And interestingly, it can be the other way around. I don't need that much support. I don't want someone coming in for three hours. I only want them coming in for half an hour. I don't want someone in my home for that long. Um, so just being... I think, yeah, a magic wand to be a little bit more malleable with the, the plan um, reviews mm -hmm. and to be a bit more time time efficient. Sometimes it takes too long to be reviewed and mm -hmm. uh, that can be quite devastating. Um, so 
you know, this week alone, somebody's run out of their community funds and we have to wait three months for, mm. for a plan review. And so they have to sit at home until that plan review takes place. It's just, it takes too long sometimes. Yeah. So streamlining the process a little bit faster would, would be a lot better. Mm. Yeah, and just ensuring that continuity of support rather than not being able to go anywhere or yes. do anything. Yeah, that's quite that's quite um, disabling. And I'm sure there's a lot of uh, families that would have been really impacted by by that. Um, and I, I guess we'd still you're a little bit cushioned um, because we have already got that support in place. But getting it off the ground is really tough for, for families. I've supported mm. two people recently to um, move from not having SIL to SIL and um, it is getting better, but it's mm. still a bit slow. Mm. Yeah. And it's also inconsistent as well. So some people are fast and some people are slow and there's that, why did that person get so fast and I didn't? Um, mm. I think it has to be really streamlined to be consistent so people don't feel hard done by. Yeah. So what is the process for somebody coming into SIL? What do they need to do to be able to um, obtain SIL funding? Yeah, look, it's pretty clear on the NDIS website. I think um, there is there is a, a formula. I guess for me on the ground, it's about getting um, looking at someone's circumstances as to if they're in a crisis, like if their parent has gone into hospital and they don't have any backup that's a, a crisis situation so you really need to prioritize those but it's going through the um, process of trialing the the most empowering situation possible instead of going into silk can we put um, supports in your family home because we don't we want if people want to stay in their homes um, to be able to facilitate that so really exhausting all of the resources to maintain your current situation if that's what you want mm -hmm. then going through um, you know the functional assessments as to what your support needs are and then identifying a SIL that's appropriate and then going through that transition plan is that something you really want to do why don't why don't you try respite is that something that you enjoy doing so I think there's a process that you have to go through before you go, yes, I absolutely want to live um, in supported accommodation before. Yeah. Um, but some people, you know, they're in their 50s, their parents are in their 70s or 80s, and they're like, this is absolutely what I want. I don't want to go through that whole process. And um, we want to support that as well. Um, yeah. Really listening to people. And and, uh, and like I said, the, the process is pretty clear on the on the website mm -hmm. you would go through through the the hoops that you have to jump through <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> to do. okay that's fantastic thank you Thanks. do you have any advice for people wanting to work in the sector if so what what would that be uh yeah so i think um the best advice would be to um get to know people with disabilities in your everyday life there's um so it's about um, a human connection. So definitely um, having genuine friendships and uh, studying, uh, talking to other people, communicating with families, getting involved um, in your, your local, um, your local uh, volunteer group. Try it on before you, you go. And then um, definitely um, the taste study is, is pretty good taste test. I think it's because it, it gives you the um, 
the structure and the language and the um, awareness of, of the, the sector, coupled with um, a bit of trying on with work placements to see if this is something you genuinely want to do. And then, yeah, volunteering or getting some work placements and then start applying applying for jobs. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. I know that's one of the hardest things um, as a manager in the sector as well is trying to find staff that um, understand the sector. Uh, sometimes they'll apply and they'll go through interview process it'll work really well then all of a sudden they come on board and it's like oh hang on this is not what I wanted um so yeah as you said trying to get that experience first is great um and just that foot in the door Mm, mm, absolutely and it is a profession now it's um we're looking at at a history of of um you know caring people doing it out of um out of their kindness of their heart to this is a um, this has got quality assurance we've got um, you know safeguard measures in place this is this is a profession now it's not um, it's not a benevolent um, experience <laughs> that's right that's right yeah. and you're right people come in and go oh I didn't know that person care and you're like how could you not know <laughs> that's, that's someone's life you know and it yes. might only be five percent of someone's life but it's a part of their life you know sure. um, so definitely those stepping stones to to keep yourself informed and aware of what in, that entails and also finding where you fit as well I think it's important some people I always say when I interview staff what's your ideal because if you hear their ideal you can then um, identify where the the customers um, that might suit them be Mm. some people are great at getting out and about and the day service suits them some people like the physiotherapy side of things some people like the seal there's so many different areas Um, and what we love to do as well is find people's uh, special strengths as well and marry the two up so um you know if you're if you're a um you know a fine art art person um let's match you up with people who also love art and let's uh Mm -hmm. let's really get your your superpower going (laughs) i absolutely think that's important um it's i always look for stuff who um want to be there in a particular setting whatever it might look like whether it's day programs or accommodation um but also looking at what else they can bring and that's a question i always ask at interview what what skills and strengths can you bring uh to the program um Mm -hmm. to support somebody um and it's Mm -hmm. it's amazing what you actually find um about people (laughs) Yeah. yeah, it is. You're like, you what? You what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, it's, 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 yeah, it's just fantastic. And uh, somebody said to me the other day, um, Kitty, when, when you, um, when I, we're talking about the art example, I always loved art and I always loved working in disability. I didn't know that I could do both and I love it so much and I'm so happy. Yeah. And, uh, it's so good because if you've got that attitude, you're bringing that to the table to support someone with such joy and, yeah, um, yeah very it's, special. <laughs> yeah, it's no longer just going to work, collecting your pay, going home. It's about, you know, giving somebody something or sharing somebody, something with somebody that makes a difference in their life and, and yours at the same time. Yeah, it's a, it's a win-win, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Kitty. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm sure we'll speak again soon.
Yes, thank you very much and uh, thank you. It was really great to talk to you. That's okay. (laughs) No worries. That was Kitty Lowry, manager of a SEAL program and fierce advocate for helping people get the right supports to master their own lives. And this was a day in her life. Tune in next week for another episode of A Day in the Life podcast. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. And if you'd like to share your story or know someone who would, contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Day in the Life Podcast Disability. Have an amazing day and I hope this helps you to build the life you choose.